First reading today is from chapter, uh, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 16, and that's page 922 of the Pew Bibles. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The second reading is 1 Peter 5 verses 1 to 11, which can be found on page 1050 of the Church Bibles. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, but as you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who told you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Denise. It's good to be with you here. Continue our sermon series on the church. I uh, hope you've got your booklets with you. 
these weird symbols. Let me explain some of them. So we looked at the church being uh, the, the people of God who gather to encounter God and to encourage each other. Uh, we are the, the temple of God, so the place where we come to it with a holy God and we need forgiveness, but we come into his presence and we're being built into this, this spiritual house together. We're the family of God who cares for each other and carries our burdens. And tonight we're doing this symbol here called the flock, the flock of God. And I want to unpack just one, ver- one verse. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. It's on the screen. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Uh, Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 20. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Can I say it's been a, a privilege to shepherd different flocks over the last 20 years? Hampstead, North Sydney, Kirribilli, Newtobay. Uh, such a, a joy and a privilege to be entrusted with God's flock, God's people, and to shepherd them and to lead them and to feed them and to care for them. So many highs in the last 20 years of ministry, uh, people who have come to faith, people who are hungering for God's word, people being transformed by the Spirit, people holding on to Jesus through the toughest of times. The highs are always people. And the lows are are people as well. Just seeing people drift in their faith. Seeing people who were once on fire for Jesus, now just lukewarm for Jesus. Or seeing people wander from the flock and wander from Christ, it just breaks your heart. Uh, Peter was a shepherd. Peter, who wrote this letter, was a shepherd of God's flock, a, a shepherd of people. And do you see why he wrote this letter? Look down to verse 12. Why did Peter leave 1 Peter with us? He said, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Peter wants the church to stick with Jesus, to stand fast in the grace of God, to to keep believing in God's grace in Jesus Christ. And we need to hear that. We are sheep who need to hear to stick with Jesus. See, the reality is that, that the Bible calls us sheep. We are sheep. We are a flock. In the Old Testament, it said, uh, Psalm 95, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is God and we are His people, the flock under His care. We are sheep. And that's not flattering, is it? Because what do sheep do? Sheep wander. Sheep need to be fed. Sheep do stupid things. Sheep need protecting from danger because they can't protect themselves. Sheep need caring for because they can't care for themselves. And a good shepherd occasionally gets their sheep and dunks them in a vat of chemicals to rid them of all the yuck and all the grime and all the impurities. And we need that as well. Sheep need a shepherd. Do you remember back in 
Jesus' time when he came to Jerusalem, he looked out over the city and he was distressed because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. See, God wants to provide shepherds for his flock. And you read the Old Testament, he provided shepherds in, in kings and leaders and priests and prophets, but they were not good shepherds, were they? These so-called shepherds, they were selfish and they were harsh and they were negligent and they were uncaring. So what did God do for his sheep? Who did God send to, to shepherd his flock? Remember how Jesus described himself? He said, I am the, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, Peter calls him the chief shepherd. The letter of the Hebrews calls him the great shepherd. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, he knows his sheep. And Jesus, as a good shepherd, he cares for his sheep. He feeds his sheep. He protects his sheep. And yes, he, he lays down his life for his sheep. See, Jesus is the shepherd we need, isn't he? You need Jesus more than you need any human leader. You need Jesus more than anybody else in your life. But you know, in God's wisdom, his strange wisdom, he appoints men and women to be under-shepherds, to be pastors and teachers and elders and overseers. And, and our job is to, to shepherd the flock. That's a serious role. James chapter 3, verse 1 says that teachers will be judged more harshly. Well, this verse from Hebrews 13 on the screen have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And yet that verse means what you think it means. On that last day, your pastors will stand before God himself and your pastors will give an account. And they'll give an account for the way they've led you, the way they've shepherded you. Have they shepherded you close to Jesus or not? That is scary stuff, isn't it? So this evening, I want to unpack what it means to be a shepherd. Three things. Number one, we shepherd under Christ. We always shepherd under Jesus. See verse 4 of 1 Peter 5. When the chief shepherd appears, when the, the primary shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, when Jesus Christ appears, because I'm not your shepherd, Jesus is. And James is not your shepherd, but Jesus is. And this is not my church or our church. This is God's church. See that verse 2, be shepherd of God's flock. Well, Acts chapter 20 says they were bought with the blood of Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You don't belong to anybody else but Jesus. So, so a true shepherd, we're just here to serve our great shepherd to point the flock to Jesus, to the good shepherd who laid out his life for you. And I find that liberating. Our task is just to point people to Jesus again and again and again. Do you remember after the resurrection of Jesus, he had breakfast on the beach with Peter? And he asked Peter the same question three times. He said, Peter... Do you love me? And Peter, yeah, I love you. He said, Well, feed my sheep. 
Peter, do you love me? He said, well, feed my sheep. And Peter, do you love me? Well, feed my sheep. And that order is so important. You see, it's only when you love Jesus, it's only when your heart is captured by the good shepherd and you understand it's all about him that you will feed your flock well. Don't get it the wrong way around. Don't think the job of the pastor is to feed the sheep and therefore they will love Jesus. You want them to love Jesus, they will feed the flock well. And I don't know whether you pray for your pastors, but if you do, the most important thing you can pray for them is that they would love Jesus and grow in their love for Jesus. I don't know, maybe that's the problem that today we have too many professional shepherds or proud shepherds who love themselves more than they love Jesus. Maybe two people going to Bible college today who actually don't love Jesus enough. It's just a job for them. I love this quote. Spiritual leadership is not won by promotion, but by prayers and by tears. It's attained by much heart-searching and humbling before God, by self-surrender, a courageous sacrifice of every idol, a bold, uncompromising, and uncomplaining embracing of the cross of Christ, and by an eternal, unfaltering looking unto Jesus crucified. That's the shepherds that you want, people who love Jesus and just want to serve Jesus, and they do that willingly, verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you, because you must, no arm twisting, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. See, no shepherd should shepherd the flock because, you know, someone's told them they're good at it or they must do it. Here's a horrifying stat for you. In the U.S., 50% of pastors are so discouraged in the ministry, they would give up their job tomorrow, except they have no other job they could do. That's awful. I love my job. It's a privilege, it's a joy to, to pastor the flock. No one's forcing you to do it. You want to do it, you long to do it. You can think of no better way of spending your time. It's what the Bible calls a calling. You love God, you love people. And maybe some pastors need to step out of pastoring for a while just to recapture their love for Jesus. And if we're serving under Christ, we do it like Christ served, that is servant-hearted leadership. You see that down in verse 2 again? Not pursuing dishonest gain. We're not in it for the money but eager to serve. We long to serve the flock like Jesus served them, washing their feet, humbly, sacrificially. See that in verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain. I love this quote. Someone said, pastors need to care more for souls than they do for their salary. That is so true. Be more concerned for the well-being of the sheep than for your personal wealth. You know, in the pastoral epistles, it's got they're not a lover of money. And sadly, there are far too many examples of people who love money too much in the ministry. I had a one pastor who, who charged his church for his golf course fees because he claimed to be doing ministry as he played golf with the congregation. That is outrageous. 
In Isaiah 56, he talks about stealing from the sheep. The shepherd who seek their own gain, he calls them dogs with mighty appetites. That is so wrong. Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I've not coveted anyone else's silver or gold. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of Jesus Christ himself who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So please pray that your pastors love Jesus, that they serve willingly and they serve sacrificially. And verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Remember when Paul wrote his epistles, he, he often said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I find that really confronting. What he's saying there is that if you watch my life, you should, you should see Jesus in me. And so if you follow my life, you'll be following Jesus. And one thing you learn in ministry is that people learn much more from models than they do from manuals. And the, the call of the pastor is to lead by example, to be careful what we say or the way we say things or the decisions that we make because people watch. Not lording it over, he says, verse 3. See, one of the dangers of leadership is that with leadership comes power and power can be abused. And again, there's too many examples of of so-called shepherds who have bullied the flock and abused the flock and intimidated the flock. If you ever feel that has been done here, let me say I'm sorry for that. Hebrews 13 says this, Remember your leaders who, who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Watch the way they live. So I hope you don't want a, a CEO with all the finest strategies or the entertainers with all the most amusing stories or your spiritual butler who says, baptize me, marry me, visit me. I hope you want a, a man and a woman who loves Jesus, who serves sacrificially, who lives by example. Please pray for that. So what is the role of the shepherd that's what they're to be like. They're to serve under Christ. What are, they, what are they supposed to do? Two things. Feed and lead. Feed the sheep and lead the sheep. So the thing about sheep is they're always on the, the verge of, of being malnourished. They need feeding. Again, back to John 21. Jesus said, do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. See, the primary responsibility of a shepherd is not to be popular, not to make everyone happy, but to feed the flock, to nourish them, to build them up in the word of God. So we need your pastors to, to make sure that you have a healthy diet. You're getting all your food groups. We're teaching the whole counsel of God. We're teaching Old Testament and New Testament and Gospels. And we're teaching you about doctrine. We're teaching you systematics and ethics and life issues. And we need, you, need to make sure that you're being fed the appropriate meal for this season you're in. You know, you know when you're going through the really hard times in life and you feel like your pastor is just, is just whacking you over the head? You don't want that. You want comfort. But there's moments where you need a good dunking. You want your pastor to say, that's got to change. 
And part of the way, the reason we feed you is to, to protect you from sin and error. But you know when you go to someone's house for dinner and they feed you this feast and you know that that feast doesn't just happen, does it? It's the painstaking hours of preparation in the kitchen that produce that feast. Same in church. You know, sermons don't just happen. I love this quote. It's my conviction that many churches today are starving to death because pastors are cutting corners in the study, having the open door policy for drop-ins lest they offend a few people. But they're robbing the flock of much-needed nutrients. As pastors continue to offer the sheep the, the leftovers or steady stream of fast food, the flock becomes increasingly unhealthy. If you want to be healthy in your Christian life, you need your pastors, your leaders, your connect leaders, whoever pastors and teaches you to spend time in the Word. Again, in the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a whole list of, of qualifications for eldership. And it's all about the character. All about their character. Apart from one phrase, just one phrase, three words in fact, able to teach. It doesn't say that you want your shepherds to have the best theology degree or the most information stuck in their head. It says the ability to communicate, the ability to teach it. And I'm sure you've all sat through sermons, you're thinking, wow, this preacher knows a lot, but I, I haven't got a clue what he's saying. You want your pastors to be able to communicate the word of God in a way that, that feeds you and nourishes you, not to tell funny stories or funny jokes, but to feed you deep into the word of God. So again, pray for your pastors, for their time in the word. Life is unpredictable. This week's been incredibly unpredictable for me. But that time, the hours and hours, listening to God and, and, and hearing his voice and then preparing to teach it to the flock under your care. So feed the sheep and then lead the sheep. Direct them, guide them, protect them. And lead them in the right path in this, this world that we live in with all these competing voices. The sheep wander, sheep go astray, sheep listen to the wrong voices and it's easy for Christians to listen to the wrong voices. We live in a world where we're being told rubbish all the time. You walk into Kurong and there's some great books and there's garbage there. And you look at the internet, there's some great sermons and there's absolute heresy there. You need to be discerning what you listen to. Acts chapter 20 says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And even from your own number, people will arise and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. That's part of our job, to lead you in the right path against error. So watch out for these wolves. But part of leading is to care, to care for the wandering, to care for the hurting. Listen to Ezekiel 34. This is God talking about himself. God says, I will search for the lost and I will bring back the strays and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. See, the true shepherd, the true pastor, 
It's not indifferent to the needs of the sheep. We're not just names on a database. We are people often hurting. This is a quote from Richard Baxter in the book, The Reformed Pastor. It's quite confronting. He says, can you not hear Christ saying, did I die for these people, but you refused to look after them? Were they worth my blood, and yet they're not worth your labor? Did I come down from heaven and seek and save the lost, but you refused to go next door or to the next street or village to seek them? How small is your labor or condescension compared to mine? I debased myself to do this, but it's your honor to do it. Have I done and suffered so much for their salvation? But you refuse that little work of your hands. No, every time you look upon your congregation, let us remember that they are purchased by Christ's blood, and so you regard them so highly. That's the role of a pastor, a shepherd, to care, to lead, to feed. And what's the reward? It's the best reward ever, isn't it? Verse 4. Not a pat on the back and no immediate rewards, but verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That crown that was won by the crown of thorns, that personal reward of, of seeing Jesus and hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But more than that, the rewards of seeing other sheep, the flock that you've cared for around the throne, rejoicing and worshiping Jesus together. I know North said this. There's a pastor, himself he cherished, who loved his position but not his parish. So the more he preached, the less he reached. And that's why his parish perished. Please pray. Please pray for your shepherds, your leaders, that we would love Jesus. Pray for me, pray for James, pray for Susan and Sarah and Ed and Naomi. And your connect leaders and your kids' church leaders. Pray for all leaders that we'd shepherd with truth and integrity and purity and humility. But most of all, we have our eyes fixed onto Jesus. I've asked uh, Susan to come and share with us how we can listen to God's voice and as Jesus speaks to us and he says, my sheep hear my voice. So come and share with us, Susan. I've been asked to share tonight about what are the things that I do to try and listen well to the shepherd's voice when um, he's speaking to us every week. And it's a bit of an irony that I've been asked to share about this because sitting and listening to a sermon every week is actually something that I struggle with and it doesn't come very naturally to me. Um, my mind wanders and I like to think about other things while looking interested. Um, and so it's hard work for me. So I wanted to share first two reasons why I bother working hard and then uh, to share with you some things that I found that's really helpful for me. And so the first reason why I work hard to listen well is 
When a brother or a sister is preaching faithfully from the Bible, it's very clear that it's actually not them who are speaking. Of course, it's in their voices, and of course, um, it's in their thought processes. But when they've done the hard work of wrestling with the Bible text over the week and have prayerfully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, have written the sermon, well, it's actually God that's speaking in their voice. So I need to make sure that I listen to what God has to say to me this week. Am I going to find it riveting and entertaining every week? Probably not. Am I going to like what God has to say to me every week? Definitely not. But God always has something to say and I need to be listening. The second reason why I work um, hard on listening to a sermon is because even if the preacher has worked very hard on the passage, at the end of the day, they are human beings and they make mistakes. And they are inevitably going to get things wrong. And I know that they'll be the first ones to stick their hands up and say, I've actually preached things up here. And when I thought about it, realized, oh, okay, no, I really shouldn't have said that. And so, but I'm not saying that that's going to happen every week, but it will happen. And we are the same believers with the same Holy Spirit, with access to the same Bible. And so we're actually perfectly capable and equipped to be able to identify if a brother or a sister who's preaching have made a mistake. And we need to let them know if that's happened. And I know how very carefully our preachers at Curability work to make sure that that doesn't happen. But we all have a part to play in this. And this comes from a place of love of God's word and zeal to ensure that it's being preached faithfully each and every week. So what are some things that I do to try and listen well to a sermon? Well, the first thing I do is I try to read the Bible passage before Sunday because I listen better when I know the passage Reading the passage for the first time, two minutes before the sermon, has limitations. I get distracted by weird words and places and names, and I go, how do you pronounce that? Um, I get stuck on one verse, and then I follow my tangents through my rabbit hole. So knowing the passage beforehand really sharpens my listening. The second thing I do is I actually bring my own Bible to church. And I know we've got these lovely Bibles in our pews, But I actually know my own Bible so much better than the ones that's sitting in the pews. I know where to flick to, how to find the passages really quickly. I use my iPad and it's in the font and the translation that I like. I can make highlights and make notes in it. And so I do really think it's a very useful thing to bring our own Bibles to church. The other thing is to also keep my Bible open during the sermon. As much as I'd like to slam it shut after the Bible reading, um, but we actually need to keep rereading it to make sure that uh, we've understood it properly. And there's a reason why we have the Bible passages up on the slides, and there's a reason why preachers, even after it's been done in the Bible reading, actually reread it out for us aloud, because they really want to make sure that we've understood the passage really well. It also helps me to follow what the preacher is saying, and it also gives me clues on when they might finish. Um, So it's just a really good, useful thing to do to uh, keep my Bible open. The other thing that I also do is to take notes. And like I said before, my mind wanders, and if I don't take notes, I'll just start thinking about anything else. 
And it really helps me to, to process what it's being said because I'm actually trying to go, okay, so that's being said, so I'm going to write down this here. And it's a process of repeating for me to listen well. And it really does engage my mind more. And how you take notes is going to be different for everyone. I am a boring old person. I have my notebook and I just write the sentences down that's being said. But I have this amazingly creative friend who draws mind maps and she draws visual symbolic representations of what the sermon is being said. It looks amazing. I could never do that, but I can tell that she's really listening. But I also know someone who knits when they're listening to the sermon. Apparently keeping their hands busy helps them listen. And when I talked to them afterwards, they really were listening, not just counting how many pearls they had. Um, And I know that for other people, actually just not doing anything else but just looking at the preacher is the most helpful thing for them to listen. And I really don't think it matters how or what you do as long as it helps you to listen well. Um, but for me, I do need to take notes, like I said. If you ever see me not writing notes during the sermon, you've actually caught me not listening. And I'm conscious of the fact that I've shared this all week, so now everyone's going to keep me accountable all the time. <laughs> anyway, um, so um, and I do suspect that there's quite a few people who, like me, would listen better if they took notes but haven't actually got into the habit of it. And I do really want to encourage you that there's no time like the present to start doing that. There's a reason why in our booklets we have this beautiful blank page that says sermon and blank. And we're not doing that because we want to waste paper or we like blank pages. But it's because we really want people to think about um, taking on that as a habit. And finally, I want to um, uh, share that our listening actually doesn't stop once the sermon is over. Because we actually need to set time aside to process what was being said. And that's going to look differently for everybody. For some people, it might mean that over supper, you actually set some time aside and ask people how their weeks were, but also to ask, what did you think about the sermon? And how are you going to go away and apply that in your lives? And I am always so encouraged by the different ways that God's word has taken effect in people's lives and how they're planning to apply it. There are times when I'm embarrassed at how deeply they've thought about it and how shallow that I thought about it. And it just gives me so much new ideas to hear what people are going to do. For other people, it might mean that you need to privately during the week set some time aside to reread the passage, hopefully reread the sermon notes if you've made any. Um, and to pray and ask God to change you in light of what God has spoken to you during the week. Now, a lot of these things I got from this very useful book that was uh, uh, pointed out to me. It's called, it's called Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. We've got a bunch of it here in the bookstore here today. It's only $3, and it has a lot of the tips that I talked about. But it also even has a section on how to listen to a bad sermon. And I'm not saying that it will happen here at Kirribilli, but it's, it's such a useful guide uh, for me and gave me some fresh ideas on how I can listen better. And I want to end by saying that we are so very lucky that at Kirribilli, each and every week, uh, we have God's word taught faithfully to us. And I want to encourage everybody to say, won't it be great if we can confidently say that we were the kind of flock who listened very well to what God had to say each and every week that we made changes in our lives and grew more and more like Christ. I think that would be wonderful. So let me pray and ask God to help us to do that. Our heavenly and loving Father, we thank you so much that you've given us the great privilege of being able to hear your word being preached every week. 
And we ask and pray that we can all put in the hard work of listening well to what you have to say to us and that we would go away and actually make the changes in our lives. We pray that we would always be a very attentive flock. Amen.